do you really believe that? It's a question that maybe you've been asked, maybe while you're reading the Bible or praying before a meal. It's a question that I'm asked even after messages. Do you really believe what you said? And I can't help but respond with deep conviction, yes, I really do believe it. It reminds me of the story of a young girl who was on an airplane reading the Bible with her mother. She had a nice little precious moments Bible and pictures inside of it. And a gentleman walks up and sits right next to them. He looks at the mother, looks at the daughter, and says, do you really believe that? The daughter looks at her Bible and says, well, yes, I do. And then he says, you really believe that God made man out of dirt? She says, well, yes, I do. Do you believe that God sent his son to earth? Well, yes, I do. And I believe that he died on a cross and that he rose from the grave. Okay, do you really believe that there was a guy named Jonah who went in the belly of a whale for a few days and then came out? She says, well, actually, it was a fish. And well, yes, I do. And she said, okay, do you believe that when he eventually died that he's in heaven? And she said, yes, I do. And I believe when I go to heaven, I'm going to ask him what being in the side of a belly of a fish was all about. That's wild. And then he said, well, what if he's not in heaven? She looked down. She said, well, then you ask him. (laughs) She had a deep conviction for what she believed. And that's what this series is all about, Flash Theology. I believe we should have an understanding of who God is and what he is like. It would be a way for us to know God and enjoy him more. Raise your hand if you want to enjoy God more. A few of us, some of us, no, no more, I'm good. I want to enjoy God more, I want to know more about him. The theme of this series is actually from a quote from a great theologian. A.W. Tozer, he would say this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's so true because because if you think that God is sitting in a throne waiting to throw lightning bolts at you, you're going to live a very fearful life. If you think that God is ultimately so compassionate for you and near you, you're going to think that you can walk into a room and God is going to be there. You see, whatever we think about God impacts the way we view truth, the way we view reality, the way we view responsibility, ethics, purpose, everything. It impacts all of us. So in this series, my prayer is that you would join us as we take a journey in flash theology. Now, what is flash theology? Uh, Flash theology is like this, of course, a burst of light. But theos means God. Ology is the study of, you know, like biology and meteorology, which is not the study of meteors, which I wish it was because it'd make more sense. It's a study of weather. Uh, but theos, God, ology, the study of. And we're actually basing it on scripture, as well as this awesome book called Flash Theology, written by uh, one of our new breakers, one of the pastors here who's on our teaching team. His name is Braden Brookshire. Uh, wrote a great book called Flash Theology. In fact, we have books for you, they're for sale. You can get them on Amazon for $18 or from Newbreak for $15. Watch out, Jeff Bezos. Come on now. Right? And so you can get it same day today, real same day shipping. Not like, hey, you got to wait. Sorry, we messed up. You'll get it in four days. No, real same day. We have it outside at the blue tent, so you can get that. If we run out for today, don't worry, we have many more coming. Uh, it's a powerful book. It's actually a visual guide. Uh, when Braden was showing me the book as he was writing it, I said, oh, it's like a picture book. He said, no, it's a visual guide. And I was like, ah, same thing, tomato, tomato. Uh, But it's got some beautiful pictures inside of it. And I wanted to read this quote to you. And it kind of helps set up our series. He writes this, theology is important for everyone. But if it's too dense, it can be hard to digest. 
Flash theology is our way of giving you crucial theological truths in readable, digestible chapters without compromising quality or depth. That's our prayer for this series. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be diving in to what God's word says about who God is. So where do we start? Well, at Newbreak, we have something called a mission statement that drives everything that we do. And you may have heard it, and I'll say it one more time. It's connecting people with God through authentic relationships to serve communities. Connecting people with God. Maybe that's where we start. Just God. And maybe you've been wondering, what do we mean when we say God? Maybe you've been wondering your whole life. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, and you're like, but, but God, what, what's that? And I think at the root of these questions that we have about God and his likeness and his essence, we're simply asking three words, what is God? And you're thinking, well, I've never asked what is God. Well, this is a what question, and think back to grade school, a who, what, where, when, why question. Why God? Where is he? What is he doing now? Who is he? And what is he like? What is God? Where do we start? Another theologian, Eugene Peterson, who helped uh, write the message paraphrase, he would say this, that God is revealing himself in creation and in Christ, in ways we can see and hear and touch and taste, in place and in person. Beauty is the term we apply to these hints of transcendence, as he would go on to say, these perceptions that there is more going on here than we can account for. When I look at the world today, I can't help but think there's got to be more going on. It can't simply be chance. It can't be luck. It can't be just random design. There has to be more going on. And so I'm asking, okay, if we're beginning with God, what is he like? What does he do? What is his essence? What is his character? Where do I begin? Well, we're actually going to start near the back of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of 1 John? Now, this is near the back. So you're actually going to start at the very back. You're going to see the book of Revelation. And then you're going to keep turning, and you're going to see Jude, and then you're going to see 3 John, 2 John, and 1 John. Now, if you get to 2 Peter, you're too far. If you're in Acts, you go the other way. Come on, keep, keep pushing. Well, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And this is written by John the Apostle. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But John is sharing something with us about the character of God and everything that he is. So if we're going to start with this idea of theology, the study of God, we better know who, what, where, when, why he is. So John begins, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Just underline that word love. You're not going to have to do it too many more times. Just write love. For love comes from God. Oh, do it again. Sorry. Anyone who loves, there it is again, is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. Hmm. What is God? God is love. Verse 9, we'll keep reading. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. You might have to get a new pen because your other one ran out if you're underlining the word love every time. There's 21, by the way, in just these verses. So get ready. You might have writer's cramp. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 
Verse 11, he goes on, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. I think we're about about 10 or 11 loves so far. Highlight, underline, circle, because this is very important. John says, I want you to understand who, what, where, when, why God is. Verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God and have God living in them and they live in God. We now know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. My prayer is each of us would put our trust in his love. Again, God is love. And all who believe in All who live in him love and live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. If if you're taking notes, if you want to love your spouse the best way possible, love God more. If you want to love your kids in a way that you dreamed of, love God more. Because your love is perfected when the Father lives in you and the Spirit is inside of you goes on, so we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can, we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Whew, underline that. We live like Jesus here in this world. You may be the only image of Jesus anyone sees because maybe you're speaking to someone who has never heard of a Bible or heard of a church, but they know you. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, It is for fear of punishment, and this shows us that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And the last of the 21 loves that we just read in these few verses, we love each other because he loved us first. What is God? Love. Maybe that's the best place we need to start. And I don't know if you've had someone share that with you. You may have thought that uh, God is this judgment-filled person. Maybe you've thought that God was something else. Maybe you've thought that he's just some high-in-the-sky kind of reality. Maybe you thought he was Santa Claus. John is saying there is something expressed. There is something commanded. There's something that must be obeyed. It's the essence of all that God is. What is God? God is perfect love. John is saying where God is, love is. And God is everywhere. But what kind of love are we actually talking about? Because our love and his love are drastically different. There were a group of kids who were asked what love meant. There's a young girl named Rebecca. She's eight years old. She said, love is when my grandfather painted my grandmother's nails when she got arthritis. And he continued to paint them even after he got arthritis. That's love. That's cute. Another young boy, seven years old, said, love is what's in the room at Christmas time. (laughs) But he went on. After you open all the presents, stop, look, and listen. Those are the people that love you. My favorite is this young boy, Billy, 12 years old. He said, when someone loves you, they say your name differently. Your name is safe in their mouth. Your name is safe in the mouth of God. He says your name and puts a smile on his face. He says, oh, Cindy, (laughs) oh, Chase, oh, 
John. Oh, Andrea. Puts a smile on his face because he's perfect love. This is why John would go on to say, we already read it, but anyone who who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If God is love, when we ask what is God and the, the response is God is love, then any discussion, any conference, any word, any community, any social media post that talks about love better start with God because he is the very definition of it. In fact, it's all that he can do. And this love is perfect. It's constant in its faithfulness and continual in its expression. It's something that we can experience. You're thinking, well, what about, you know, I love my kids. And when they do something wrong, I have to correct them. Yeah, that's still love. Love is all that God can do. And when we, when we go the wrong way, he says, hey, I love you enough to let you know. I love you enough to make you draw near to me. I love you enough to call you son and daughter. I love you enough to bring you close. But you see, in the English language, we have one word for love. So we say things like, I love Chick-fil-A, and I love my wife. Obviously, very different types of love. I I would hope so, unless you're like, we're getting married, me and McDonald's, and I really just want... You know, it's a different type of love. We confuse like for love. I like Chick-fil-A. I love my wife. In fact, in the Greek word, Greek language, there's four different types of love, four words for love. And I want to share them with you because it will help us understand this type of love that we're talking about today. Uh, the first one is eros. Uh, this is a romantic kind of love. We get the word erotic from this love. I love my wife. Amen. But the problem with this kind of love, if you just stay there, it can want to sometimes fulfill my own interests. God's love is better than that. In fact, God's love is even better than this next love, this storge, this family type of love. This is the way that Jacob loved his sons, as you read in Scripture. This is the way that Mary and Martha loved their brother Lazarus, who died and and they called on Jesus. This is that type of love. This is how I love you. I love my wife. I love you. But I love this woman. I love you too. And then after this, there's phileo. Uh, This is like a brotherly, this is a a friendly type of love, that you have care, respect, and compassion for this kind of person. That's like my men's group. Love you, bro. God's love is so much better than that. I love my wife. I love you. My men's group, love you, man. God's love. Agape love. I mean, this type of love is a divine love that only comes from God. It's immeasurable and comparable. You can't even begin to understand it. It's unconditional. It is, in fact, unreasonable. This kind of love, this pure love, this love that doesn't act on, on just feeling, this love that acts on action. And I know that's difficult for us because we say things like, I fell out of love. No, you didn't. I don't know if you did love. Because love is a choice. You chose to stop loving, but we fell in love. I get the sentiment, but we probably should change the wording. I've chosen to love my wife deeply and completely. And I work on doing it unconditionally, but sometimes because I'm still human, I have conditions. And so when you feel like that person has wronged you, you stop loving. 
And God says, I know you have wronged me and I will never stop loving. That's why it's a perfect love. That's why John would go on to say, this type of love casts out all fear, all of it. You don't need to have fear when you know how much God loves you. And he's talking about this idea of fear because there was this this fear of this heavy judgment that we were going to be forever separated from God. And he's like, do you not understand that he sent his son? You have not experienced his perfect love. What I love about John when he's writing these letters is we're, we're talking about Man, John, who actually wrote the gospel according to John, the third book, uh, sorry, fourth uh, gospel in the New Testament. And he would say this, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I know we think like, he's just being cocky. Maybe he understood something. He said, I am the one that Jesus loved. Like, yeah, he, he loves everyone. I get that. But it started to make sense to me. Maybe he started to understand like Paul understood this type of perfect love, experiencing this perfect love. Like Romans 8.38 says, I believe there is nothing. Paul says, I am convinced neither height nor depth or angels or powers or anything above, anything created, anything that is unseen could ever separate me from the love of God. John said, I am the one who Jesus loved. And maybe you grew up like me, hearing this Very familiar passage actually from the Gospel of John. John 3.16. The words of Jesus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And you're like, yeah, he loved the world. He does. But me? No. I've done too much. In fact, I know know you're saying God's love is, is, is limitless, but I think I've pushed God's love beyond its borders. I think I've done so much wrong that there is nothing a perfectly loving and good God could ever do to help me. We put limits on God as if he's like us and has limits. He's so much higher than we could ever think. He has no limits. We think that God loves us when we are good. No, God loves us because he is so unspeakably good that he can't even help but love you. So maybe, like me, when you see this passage... And many of you know my story, sitting at uh, the Billy Graham crusade in 2004, the Rose Bowl, and him sharing, Jesus loves you, no matter what you've done or where you've been, Jesus loves you. One of the things that I did early on in my faith was go through the Bible and start to trace letters of powerful scriptures. And I did it with this one. And then I actually went in and changed it to make it personal. I said, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that when I believe in him, I will not perish, but I'll have eternal life. Maybe that's what you need to know, that he loves you. Yeah, he loves the world, but he loves you. As long as God exists, which is forever, he is eternal, love exists. So if that's the case, as Pastor Nate said, no matter what yesterday looked like, this morning, this afternoon, God loves you. Because he is love. Thinking that God hates you is to remove God's name and his actual essence and character and being from him. He says, no, I I am love, so there's, 
Why would you think that I wouldn't love you? In fact, you've never been loved by anyone like I love you. We think that our love is based on how good I am to God. I'm so thankful that God's love for me is based on him. And scripture says time and time and time and time again that he never changes and he never leaves in the best way because not only is God love, God is also relational. This is why in scripture you would see him calling out to us in the book of James written by, by Jesus' brother. He would say, draw close to God, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is why Adam and Eve, you would read in the book of Genesis, they're walking with God in the cool of the day. Could you imagine? You see, God's love is not just about intimacy, it's about proximity. He says, I want to get close to you. I I want to be with you, I want to be near you. It's that type of beautiful love. But so many of us, when it comes to our theology, our belief about God, we've settled for something I like to call cheap theology. And there's a contrast, there's cheap theology and there's costly theology. Cheap theology is called deism. It's this belief that, yeah, you look around, obviously there's some higher being and creator that created everything. But deism goes on to say, it's kind of like a watchmaker who created a watch and then just left everything. And so God created things, but then he's just gone out doing something else. Cheap theology. And if that's been your view of God, can I tell you, We've missed it. The other side, costly theology. Yes, there is a creator of the universe who created everything. But this God loves so much that as he created, he said, I can't wait to live with you. I can't wait to be with you. In fact, he calls you his bride. And so when there was distance from God and us, he said, I have to do something, costly theology. I have to send my son because my son is going to give glory to me and you are going to give glory to the son through the spirit. But somehow there's been a a fracture in our relationship. So I'm going to send my son and he's going to die on a cross and rise on the third day so that you will finally experience Eden once again, perfect love with me. That's how relational our God is. Deism. God is far, theism, God is so close. In fact, as scripture would say, we just read it in John, God has given us his spirit to prove that we live in him and he in us. Throughout this letter, John shares this word with us that is so beautiful. He says, beloved, because he wants you to know not only is God love, but you are the object of his love. Beloved. One of the first times that that really hit me was I uh, was at, in my undergrad getting a degree from Vanguard University. And there was uh, one of our friends there. We were kind of praying and having like a somewhat of a small group. And after we all kind of went to our dorms, we heard sirens. And so we all were wondering what had happened. One of the guys that we were in the group with passed away. Had a brain aneurysm. I mean, just, I mean, in a matter of less than five minutes, you were just with that person and then sirens. How could a good God do something like that? We'll talk about that in Flash Theology. But we actually went into his dorm and he had his Bible and he had his journal out. 
And in the journal, still blows my mind to this day, he said, I am my beloved and he is mine. See, I think he got the thing that God wanted him to get. My prayer is you would get that too, that I am my beloved's and he is mine, that he has me completely, that he's never gonna let me go, that he is so relational that he sees me and he says, I love you, and that is the word that he speaks over you. I love you. I love you. And if, if love requires someone else or something else, some type of object, how can we say God is love if he existed before everything else? Now we're getting to some fun theology stuff. Well, if God existed before everything else, he's just by himself, what did he love? Well, if you have your Bibles, you don't have to turn there. Genesis 1.26. Very powerful verse. God by himself, right? Okay. Let us make mankind in our image. What? Let us? This is not like God thinking so highly of himself that he does what I do when I walk into the house and Nikki and I say, we have decided that tonight we will have. No, that's, it's not that. God, is, God has always existed in relationship. In the book, you'll see there's, there's a young woman who asked this question. She says, what was God doing before he created everything? Was he bored? No. He was living in relationship with himself. And I know it sounds insane. But this word God is speaking of the triune God. This word called Trinity. And you may not see the word Trinity in Scripture. In fact, you might not see the word theology in scripture, but it's the best way with our finite minds we can understand an infinite God who is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I know the skeptics would say that makes no mathematical sense. A Muslim would say God can't have a son and then also a spirit. There's no way. Children and adults alike would say I'm kind of intrigued Believers, here's what we say. It's not that important. Marcus, you figure it out. But we're missing it. So each, each week, we're going to have something called a flash fact from this idea of perfect theology coming from God's word. I want to share a flash fact with you. It's one word. It's perichoresis. Everyone say perichoresis. Look at you, theo- theologians, just Beautiful. Perichoresis is the mutual indwelling of the person of the Trinity. Three distinct persons, equal in nature. If you're taking notes, I want to explain this in in the most smallest way, not simple, smallest way I possibly can. God is one in being, three in person. If you're taking notes, one in being, three in person. Um, If you're like me, you are a human being. If you're not like me, you're something else. You are a human being. I am a human being. I'm one in being, and all human beings are one in person. I am also Marcus. You see, being is that which makes you what you are. Person is that which makes you who you are. So God, what is he? He is above all things. We actually sang his name, Yahweh. It's the God of scripture. In fact, that name is so powerful and so beautiful that early believers wouldn't even say his name. They actually wouldn't even write it. They would take out the vowels and just write the consonants, Y-H-W-H. 
because he is so set apart. As I said a few weeks ago, he is on a completely different list altogether. What he is, set apart. Who he is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One in being, three in person. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. So what is God? He is perfect love and he is perfectly relational. Because even before he created everything, he had himself. And there is perfect love within the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You never have to worry about God speaking bad of the Son or the Son speaking bad of the Father or the Spirit speaking bad of God. You want to know how God is speaking to you? Does it match up with this? If it doesn't, it's not God. God said that I should check this first. Because if it doesn't sound like him, it's not him. It's you or your enemy. So in a perfect relationship, in a perfectly loving God, he says, I am one in being. Remember what he is. Three in person, who he is. And they all work together because they are all one, distinct and equal. And if you've ever wanted to know what God looks like, you have to be willing to understand the Godhead, the Trinity. And maybe this is not something that you ever would expect to to be talking about on a Sunday morning, or maybe you're like, I, I didn't think it mattered that much. Well, it does, because you cannot see God without understanding all of who he is. You see all three persons at the same time. I want you to think like a multifaceted diamond. A facet is the flat side of the diamond. And you think, oh, it makes it sparkle more. It actually doesn't. The flat side, the facet of the diamond, actually reveals more of the beauty of the stone. So when I see the multifaceted nature of who God is, I see the beauty of who, of who he truly is. It's like if I were to tell you, I'm going to show you a picture of my family, and I just showed you a picture of my face, you'd be like, that's not your family. <laughs> Here's a picture of God, just the father. No, that's not him. But really, I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, this is a picture of my family. Uh, there are six different last names in here. We have uh, Devane, Small, Stevens, Prattle, Witherspoon, and Nelson. And there's also about six different shades of melanin, praise the Lord. <laughs> but this is my family. As I said, I can't show you just a picture of me and say this is my family. I get to say this is my family. And this is just the San Diego family. There's still the LA family, the San Bernardino family, the Virginia family, the Florida family, and the Maryland family. You put all of us together, it doesn't fit in a picture. It's ridiculous. But there's beauty in this picture because this is the family. There's adoptions. There's rest restoration. There's stories being told and God is not finished. What did God say in Genesis 1.26? Let us make mankind in our image. A triune God, right? Triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He goes to the dirt, creates man. And then he says, not good for man to be alone. So he pulls from the rib of the man, and the woman proceeds from the man. So now there's two. And out of the union of the man and the woman come a child. Three. Father, mother, son. The triune God says, let us make mankind in our image. Family. That's what it looks like. You are an image of God.
whether you have your own kids, whether you are looking at your nephews and nieces like my wife and I, whether you're ready to adopt, whether it's been a, a difficult time for you having kids, look around this room. You are connected in a family where you are three people connected together, portraying the beauty of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are the triune image of a triune God. There's power in that. God is relational. God is loving. And he says, model that for the rest of the world. And this is what we read actually in the book of 2 Corinthians. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? And, and, I, and I love this piece because it's a, it's a moment for us to understand not just to experience God's love, but to do something with it. 2 Corinthians is near, near the beginning of the New Testament. You're gonna see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. If you see Galatians or Ephesians, you went a little too far. Verse 17 says, that means anyone who believes, who belongs to Christ, has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. If you're wondering where new break got its name, that verse right there. Because you are new, you are a new creation. And we're called new break because everyone needs one. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God is giving us the task of reconciling people to him. You are reconciled reconcilers. You've been brought back to God and now you have a command. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Praise the Lord. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God is love. God is relational. Also, God invites us to be a part of extending his love to the rest of the world. And this is when you may have heard this idea of witnessing or evangelism. And I just want to simplify that a bit. I'm just going to put on my apologetics hat for a moment. Uh, if you would just write down three words. Knowledge, wisdom, and character. That's all you need to share the goodness of God. That's it. Knowledge, wisdom, and character. Knowledge is accurately being informed of who God is. Read the Bible. Join us these next few seven weeks as we discover God through flash theology. A wisdom is beyond just accurately informed. You're also living in this appropriate method where you're not just like, hey, guess what? Figure it out. You're going to die. That's not wise. I don't know about you, but that's not what made me love Jesus. But an appropriate method would say, sounds like you're really going through a hard time right now. I've been through a hard time too, and if it wasn't for what I know about God, I wouldn't be here today. And then knowledge, wisdom, and last one, character is an attractive manner. Do you live in a way that makes God attractive? Or are people like, oh, if you're a Christ follower, I'm out. So you guys still gossip and post and do wrong things and yell at each other and then are really backbiting and then are evil behind each other's backs? You guys do that too? Okay, why do I need to join your club? But it's way, the, the way that you love your spouse, love your kids, love God's church, serve communities, and are leading people to him, I want more of that. Knowledge, wisdom, and character. Do that, you'll change your neighborhood. I promise you. Money back guaranteed. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, you guaranteed. 
You saw what he said here. This is Paul speaking. We are Christ's ambassadors. I want you to think about a brand ambassador. You know those people that are on your, on your cell phone or you're swiping and, and whatever on your social media and you're like, oh, look, another blanket that I don't need. And then it keeps coming up over and over again. Jesus says, I want you to be ambassador for his name and his glory so that people would see that God is love, God is relational. Be that type of ambassador. We speak for Christ when we cry out, come back to God. An ambassador is someone who wants someone to understand something about whatever the product is. As ambassadors of Christ, we're saying, I want you to know the real Jesus. And there's something in marketing called this rule of seven. The rule of seven essentially says it's going to take seven points of interaction before someone will ever make a purchase. I think it's about that same number for someone to even be invited to church. How many of us came the first time you were invited to church? Anybody? Exactly. Maybe it took about seven times. Some of us, myself included, hundreds. I'm not going there. But maybe you can be number one in someone's life, and number two, and number three, and number four. Maybe you're number seven. But God needs all of us. And if you're wondering if you're being a good ambassador of Christ, ask yourself, what am I communicating, and who is listening? I'll answer the second one. Everyone is listening. Everyone, everywhere, and they're ready to post about it. And your kids are listening, and they're watching. They're saying, is that what Jesus looks like? But what are we communicating? My prayer is we're communicating all that God is. This is our opportunity to restore what is broken in the world because he invites us to do it. And if you're like me and you've looked at the world and you see the brokenness, God, what do we do? He says, just start somewhere. When I was younger, I worked for a clothing company, and uh, we had this really cool big van, and uh, it was actually a Christian clothing company. I just got saved and was super excited about it. Uh, We had this really cool 15-passenger van that we would load up and take all over the nation to go and share product and do whatever we wanted to do. It was a ton of fun. But one day they gave me the keys, I'm 17 years old, and they said, would you like to get gas? And I said, oh, yes I do. I haven't driven this bad boy yet. Uh, There was a little dirt lot um, near the church. Right? You gotta gotta see. Let's let's see what this 15-passenger van can do. So I went to the dirt lot, and I'm having fun, you know, I'm just by myself. And that's when you have the most fun sometimes when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, right? And so I'm just like, this is going to be a blast. And I hit some, some like dirt things and everything's great. And I get some air, which was the best. And then, pow, I'm on the side. I'm just like this. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work. I was, I was okay. I got out of the car. I walked into the office and said, hey, uh, pastor. And, uh. Pastor would go like this whenever I talked to him because he knew something was going to be bad. And he would be like, do I still have a pulse? <laughs> and I said, hey, um, you know the, the van for the company? I, uh, I was taking a shortcut. And he said, yes, Marcus. <laughs> so, well, it was more of a detour. And uh, I, think I, I think I broke the van. He said... Where is it? And I was like, oh, it's, it's right there. It's not, it's not far. So we walked to it. And he said, have you, have you called a tow truck? I said, no. And he goes, okay. And he's like, do you know how to fix this? I said, no. He said, we'll do it together. That's what God says when we mess up. And he looks at our broken world and he said, let's put the world back together. Together. 
The best part about God is he prioritizes relationship over efficiency. It'd be so much faster for God to be like, all right, everything is fixed. But he says, no, I want you to join us for the ride. This is why John would say, we love because Christ loved us first. Let's pray. God, as we discover more of who you are, my prayer is that we would know what that love is like. Know what that relationship with you is truly like. And God, that we'd be transformed forever because of it. So now, God, as we come before you, maybe some of us in the room who have never experienced that perfect love. So God, we ask now that you'd begin to reveal it to us. This love that is love for the sake of love. This love that looks out for the good of another rather than the good of themselves. This love that is incomparable. This love that is incomparable. This love that is unconditional. This love that is unreasonable. Let us experience that love right now in this moment. For those of us that have never received and accepted that love, give us the moment now. If you're in the room without looking around and you haven't experienced the love of God, and you haven't said, yes, I want to receive that love. Before you do anything, please know he's not waiting for you to get right. He's not waiting for you to make sure you clean up. He says, let's put it all back together, together. So if you say, God, that's what I need in my life. I'm done trying to look for love in every other single place. God, I need you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? We just want to pray with you. We want to partner with you because this is a moment. I see your hands. I see your hands. This is a moment when you get to be with him. Even online, just say yes. Type yes. We want to pray with you and partner with you. God loves you. He loves you with an intimate, deep love. Could we all pray together just as a family since we are the image of God, how beautiful it is? Just say, God, I want to experience more of your love. So remove the places in me that stop me from experiencing you. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Heal me. And teach me to extend your love to others. In your name we pray. Amen. Give God a hand because we serve a powerful, amazing, mighty God.